ಕಥಾಮೀವನ ಕವಿರೀರಿತ ಕಲ್ಮಶಾಪಹಂ ಶ್ರವಣಮಂಗಲ ಶ್ರೀಮದಾತ ಭುವಿ ಗೃಹಂತೇ Sri Ramakrishna's conversation with Keshav and other Brahmo devotees. So we will continue from the section which uh, we just concluded in the last class. So after that we will start. The Master to Keshav. You don't look into people's natures before you make them your disciples. And so they break away from you. so this is something very interesting sri ramakrishna is saying it has a deep significance in the life of sri ramakrishna just to say as the background keshav used to say that sri ramakrishna is spiritually exalted highly exalted spiritually but he doesn't have the faculty of organization that's what keshav used to say that the paramahamsa means he used to mean sri ramakrishna by paramahamsa the paramahamsa doesn't have the faculty of organization it's very interesting just see the paradox there's keshab the organization which of which he was the leader the brahmo samaj it's there it's not that it's not there but it's in a very very just in a very very rudimentary form in a very simple form it is there but the ramakrishna mission whom he this is after the name of ramakrishna in the time of ramakrishna of course it was not to be uh, termed as organization it was just a few devotees who used to visit sri ramakrishna and there is a very nice incident that one day uh, when latu swami adbhutananda the one who was illiterate a very from, from a very poor background he came he was massaging sri ramakrishna's feet in dakshineshwar and sri ramakrishna asked him well latu can you just count how many devotees i have how many people come over this place and latu with his knowledge tried to count and he told some 34 or 35 so that was the number which used to visit sri ramakrishna regularly it's it's fact that this keshav and the brother brahmo devotees they used to come now and then but as per the adherence of the ramakrishna's teaching is concerned those who took that seriously it came to some 34 or 35 and that's what with which the ramakrishna's movement started and now it's a worldwide movement 
come and just see their significance that the paradox of those words that Keshav used to say that Ramakrishna doesn't have the faculty of organization. And the reason for that, that why this paradox happened, that suddenly there was a huge influx of people in Brahma Samaj. Sri Ramakrishna from his foresightedness could see that such an organization which has grown suddenly in a fluke, it won't stay long. As Swami Vivekananda used to say very interestingly, that, that many organizations, that many organizations are like the mushrooms in the rainy season. Suddenly the rainy season, the monsoon, suddenly you find the mushrooms everywhere in all the grass fields you find is full of mushroom. Suddenly it comes and suddenly it goes. It's no more there. So unless people are really sincere adherents to a particular faith, and for that, you need a particular temperament. If you don't have that, it cannot continue. It just comes in some with some very popular tags. People get attracted and in no time they forget about it. It doesn't create a deep imprint in their mind. And it happens because the reason Sri Ramakrishna is saying that you don't look into the people's nature before you make them your disciples. And so they break away from you. So it's a very important thing that people are of varied temperaments. And unless the Sri Ramakrishna has his own way to really study the nature of the disciples. He used to study the physiognomy. When these young ones, young disciples used to come, these young boys used to come, he had, from where he learned, we don't know, that he will weigh the hand. He will take the hand of those disciple from the elbow, he will just weigh it. And he only knew that if it is very light, how he felt that lightness, we don't know that he used to feel that his mind is very simple. He, he has faith, he has devotion. So like that, there are many physiognomy he used to, very meticulously he will check. Not only that, the behavior pattern. That when anyone is to come for instruction to Sri Ramakrishna, Sri Ramakrishna himself will go out to see that how he has kept his shoes how he has kept his umbrella. If you find that they are all haphazard, immediately he will understand the nature of their mind, that it's not very tidy, it's not very disciplined. So he will come back and say, you better go around. Rani Rashmani has built this temple garden. Such a nice garden is there. Such nice buildings, temples are there. You go around and have a look. So that's how he used to dissuade them. He will just, ask them to go and just, ha just have a look just around the temple garden and he won't in any way instruct them. He will somehow avoid that. So that shows that he had that faculty of as if scanning the inner being of the other person through various means. And if he found that he's really sincere, then only he will start, start instructing that person. So there was no Leo for the numbers. Sometimes we judge the religious movement by the numbers. We have heard from very serious monks 
very very there's very this senior monks that you should be very much concerned if you find suddenly that too many people have started coming why then you must be aware of the fact you must become cautious of the fact that what you are teaching is something popular it's not in some way it must be compromising with the truth as per the maslow's you know the theory that a pyramid of needs the pyramid base is very very broad the more you go up the apex the top becomes narrower at last it because just becomes a pointed the end becomes just the point of a triangle what it uh, what he has stated that as our needs get refined as we get more cultured you get more and more less people in the apex at the top in the best is very broad you can get many there but know it for certain you will be more and more isolated alone as you go to the top this is the famous theory of the mass abraham maslow's the this pyramid of needs he has described so in the religious uh, sentiments spirituality is something very very refined subtle so it's quite obvious that when you really go for some sincere religious endeavors you are not going to find many people there if you find know it for certain you are somehow compromising with the truth and you are preaching something very popular so that's what sri ramakrishna always very much aware of he used to always say that if you see anyone preaching religion with a sign board in his hand don't believe him it's more like marketing it's not real religion so you find a throng of people but the sincerity is not there they all will just break up they come in a throng and suddenly you find there are no more there and that's the thing sri ramakrishna found in the brahmo samaj that keshav's lecture was very popular he used to preach and in those days because of the western influence the idea of idol worship was something which was uh, criticized and brahmo samaj took up that idea that god is formless and somehow people found that yes this is the way which we should approach religion but somehow it couldn't touch the core of our being so that's why the movement was to certain extent though it did a great reformation in those days it has a great role to play but somehow to continue with that type of ideology if we find that the adherents were becoming fewer and fewer and not only that there was lot of difference of opinion it started breaking off because even the this the biggest problem with the religious movements are the what we don't walk our talk and that happened with the brahmo samaj that they found that the leaders are speaking of something they are making certain rules which they themselves are not following that was the main reason for which that started breaking up if you study the history we need not go to the details you will find that the main reason for breaking up is that they were not walking their talk so that's what sri ramakrishna understood that though brahmo samaj at those days was in those days was flourishing but he found that the seed of 
dissidents is already there. So that's what he's saying, that you don't look into the people's natures before you make them your disciples. And so they break away from you. All men look alike, to be sure, but they have different natures. Some have an excess of sattva, others an excess of rajas, and still others an excess of tamas. You have noticed that the cakes known as puli all look alike, but their contents are very different. Some contain condensed milk, some coconut kernel, and others mere boiled kalai, a type of pulse, all laugh. So we as human, we all look alike from outside. As per our physical appearance is concerned, we all look alike. But inward, but inner, as per our inner awakening is concerned, all are not same. Some have already been awakened to be really called as a human being. As Sri Ramakrishna himself used to say, that in Bengali, the human being is called Manush. And he had his own way of breaking that word. It is not grammatically correct. But he had his own way of breaking the word. He used to say, you know, who is Manush? Man plus Hush is Manush. He used to say. But Man plus Hush is Manush. What it means in Sanskrit, in Indian language, Man means value. Measurement, value that the weight of a certain thing is its mana. The length of a certain thing is its mana. The mana means value, the characteristics that distinguishes one thing from the other is the mana. And hush means awareness. So he used to say manush means man plus hush. That what is man? Some traits which makes us you, as, as which makes us total, some unique as a human being from other creatures. The traits, the characteristics which makes us unique for, and distinct from other creatures. That is the man, the hush, awareness. The question is, yes, we do have certain faculties which is unique, but are we aware of them? If most of the human beings are not aware of those unique human capacities, human faculties which they have, if you're not aware of those special faculties which makes us unique in comparison to the other creatures, we are not Manush. So though we may look as, appear as a human being. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. It all look alike. But a few are aware of the special traits, not all. What are the special traits? That human beings are the only creature who question, who asks the meaning of life. What's the purpose of life? Because all other creatures just live the life as guided by the instinct. We are the one, as a we will find that the big question mark is there. What's the purpose? What's the meaning of life? And from that question, the intellectual factor, uh, this faculty, that has to be cultured. Contemplative faculty, that has to be cultured. And those all speaks of sattva. That those who have developed that excess of sattva, the way they will 
relate to the truth. For others, it becomes something of no use. They're totally oblivious of those strings. They're totally indifferent of other things, all those things. So if we are really preaching the pure religious truth, then only those who are really seeking for it, they will come. But if others come, it speaks of something which has got mixed up with that. Some populist culture has been adopted, compromised, that has been compromised with the absolute truth. And that brings the throng in. And know it for certain, that type of gathering, that type of movement cannot gather its strength. In the due course of time, it is bound to be eroded. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. All men look alike, to be sure, but they have different natures. Some have an excess of sattva, others an excess of rajas, and still others an excess of tamas. You must have noticed that the cakes known as puli all look alike, but their contents are very different. Some contain condensed milk, some coconut kernel, and others mere boiled pulse. Do you know my attitude? As for myself, I eat, drink, and live happily. The rest, the Divine Mother knows. Indeed, there are three words that prick my flesh, Guru, Master, and Father. So Sri Ramakrishna found that what he's saying is something instead of directly accusing someone else, he found that just by little learning, just by reading a few scriptures, people immediately pose themselves to be the guru, the master. Without any spiritual awakening, they've studied a little and they think they've understood the be all and end all of religion and they think themselves the master and they start preaching. They start thinking themselves as the spiritual leader of the society. So here Sri Ramakrishna is saying that my attitude is just, I eat, I drink, live happily. Rest all Divine Mother knows that he's just leading the life. Through his own spiritual practice, he has transformed his life and he's, whatever he's doing is just spontaneous. He doesn't have to pose himself as the leader. Whoever comes, who are sincere, they come automatically. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, if the flower blooms, the bees, you do not have to invite them. They come. So there are two factors. The flower has to bloom and you have to be a bee. It's not that if I am just some other insect, I won't be drawn towards it. So if I am a bee and if a flower has bloomed, these are the two factors. So that's when the flower has bloomed, the plan of the universe is such that those who are bees, those who are really seeking spirituality, those who are really seeking honey and nothing else, for them, you need not have to show them a roadmap where he's sitting, the flower is there. They will be automatically drawn towards him. So Sri Ramakrishna is saying that I'm not in any way, I just that feel that I'm the guru or the master. I just am happy leading the life, knowing very well that the mother knows everything. It is she who will bring the right-minded people. I need not have to worry about it. She will take care of that. If there is a need, 
in this world, know it for certain that the divine has some way or other provided the uh, source where your need can be fulfilled. There must be some source. And if you have really urged for the spirituality, you will be drawn toward the real genuine person who can really help us in the spiritual growth. So that's why he's saying, I'm not bothered. I need not have to invite people. I need not have to keep a signboard declaring that you, will, you are just going to get the spiritual truth. I'm just quite happy to live the life. Rest the mother, divine mother knows. And that's why he's saying that the three words that prick my flesh is guru, master, and father. So Sri Ramakrishna will indicate that if we can really become perfectly egoless, when I think myself, this is a paradox, if I think myself as the guru, as the, mad, mad, as the master, as the father of all, that speaks of the ego has been concretized. The ego is the barrier which doesn't allow the God through work to work through us. So it is the one who has got rid of the ego. He becomes the God's channel through which the God himself will be delivering his grace for the entire humankind. So that's why she is saying that I'm, I, I, that these words prick me. So when one becomes perfectly egoless, one becomes the God's channel. It's not mere the physiognomy and the behavior. Sri Ramakrishna used to have visions about the devotees association in past incarnation. Seeing Narain, he's saying that he's one of the seven rishis. Seeing Master Mahasaya, he told that I saw you in the Kirtan, in the people who were just dancing down the street along with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, just singing the glories of the divine in the form of the Kirtans. So the divine mother made him that the divine mother showed him that whoever used to come, his nature, his association with the spiritual incarnations in the past or with some spiritual environment in which he has, she has grown up. And that's how he would judge his nature. It's not only mere physiognomy and the behavior pattern. You'll find there are so many references where Sri Ramakrishna is saying, the mother has shown me in the Swami uh, Brahmananda's life, wonderful incidents that one day divine mother told Sri Ramakrishna that you are going to have a child. And Ramakrishna was just terrified. How can that I am just a celibate? How can I have a child? And then the mother told, it is a spiritual child, not the biological child. And when Sri Ramakrishna saw Rakhal, the future Brahmananda, he understood that this is the one who was indicated by the mother, the divine mother, as his spiritual child. So this, we find there's so many such references. So when you become egoless, the God starts working through you. You become the instrument and then you need not have to search. It is, a, it is the divine who will bring the right person. 
to the genuine guru. So the guru must be genuine and the disciple must be sincere. And when it happens, when it is, when these two are available, God's, it is for the God's plan, we are, they are supposed to, they, they are bound to meet, meet each other. Just the way the bee is naturally drawn towards the flower. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating, that I really, that feel, that uh, embarrassed, that these words prick my flesh. What's the word? Guru, master, and father. I just leave the life, rest all the mother knows. There is only one guru. See, after that, Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. There's only one guru. And that is Satchidananda. But God alone is the guru. He alone is the teacher. My attitude toward God is that of a child toward its mother. Just the child is fully dependent on the mother. Uh, the child only knows to cry, nothing else. So that I was listening to some Buddhist talk very nicely, they say that in Buddhism, we speak of suffering and unconditional love. When the child is born, the first thing that it has life, the first sign of life is it cries. If it doesn't cry, the doctors become concerned. The child will be crying. That speaks of suffering, uneasiness. That speaks of suffering. That the cause of that crying is suffering. And the intention of crying is unconditional love. Why it is crying? It knows that it is helpless. It cannot do anything. But it knows that there is someone to help him out. And it just cries. So many say that we don't see unconditional love in this life. We forget that we all are product of that unconditional love. We all are the product of. Without unconditional love, we wouldn't have been what we are. We just gave a cry and there was love waiting for us. So here also the same attitude that somehow in the process of growth, we, we forget that it was that unconditional love which has sustained us. We can live the entire life that way. We as a human being alone think that the moment we don't have dollar in our pocket, I die. Not a single other creature thinks that way. The birds, the beasts, they all know the food is there. The thing for sustenance is there. We somehow have developed a culture where currency is equated with our existence. And that's why the sadhus in Indian culture are parivrajakas. They say that if you just roam as a parivrajaka, just roam about from place to place without having any means of sustenance, you will develop faith in God. These are not mere words. Why? Because it's the experience that if you just simply take a resolution that I will just walk down the street with no money in my pocket, just go on walking wherever I am tired, I just rest on the shade of the tree. We think, how is it possible? I have no, I am going to die. So the experience is that no one dies as such. Some way the sustenance comes. You may say, oh, it's in the Indian culture. That to give bhiksha to the sadhus, that's why they survive. You we forget that Swami Vivekananda just having the vision of Ramakrishna showing him the way uh, across the ocean, from which he got the idea that Ramakrishna is asking him to go to the west. 
And that was again substantiated by Holy Mother. And based on that faith alone, Swami Vivekananda went to the West where begging is illegal. And he was tired, see, just lying on the road. And just see the one who can really depend on God, Mrs. Hell came, seeing that a sadhu, a, this a monk, and she didn't know who he is actually because the way the Indian monks clad themselves is not the way the Western monks clad themselves. So just seeing somehow the motherly love evoked in him, was evoked in him. She came and she took him to her house. And that's how Swamiji could sustain himself even in the West. What it speaks of, if we can really depend on God. When uh, the young novices used to come to Belurmat to become sadhu, to take, to take the vows of sannyasa. Swami Vivekananda used to say that just can you jump from a tree with the, with the full faith that the only support you have is God and nothing else. When he was saying these words, it's not mere words. He was speaking from his own life experience. He has done that. He has simply jumped out from the tree as if having the idea that God is the only support, nothing else. And if we can really have that, we, are, we will find that yes, the one who has created this universe is there to take care of us. We as a human being has developed a civilization where we think it is the dollars alone which the, can be replaced, which can replace the God. Uh, that, the dollar, that the dollar is the thing that sustains us. It's not the fact. So if you can really have that attitude that, that you are the child of the divine, know it for certain, God has his way to take care of his children. There are so many stories in the Indian culture. You know, the one who wrote the Tika, means a treatise on the Bhagavad Gita, Sridhar Swami. So he was a married person when he's, uh, he had a wife and one child and the wife died just keeping the small child as uh, that is small. The child was just very small, an infant. When his son was just an infant, his wife died. And now by this time, the Sridhar, the Sridhar Swami has developed a tremendous renunciation. He wanted to leave his hearth and home and now this small child is there. So these stories, uh, we should not take literally. It has some uh, significance. That's the significance is very important. What does it say? That just then Sridhar Swami saw that a small lizard hatched out from the egg. From the egg, the egg hatched and a small lizard came out and a small fly was just flying in front of its mouth and immediately its tongue protruded and the fly got stuck in its tongue. And immediately Sridhar Swami thought, that no one taught him how to take food. So the creator has created the being in such a way that his sustenance is already there. Just the moment, no one has taught him. And that made him believe that somehow the child will be taken care of. That if you, but here the big question, the question is that can we really do that? Yes, we can do that. If really that type of renunciation is there. Most of us, will be just trying to get uh, go to our comfort zone to avoid the challenges of life. 
to go to a security zone may have a fake renunciation. That's not the thing. When one really have a genuine, that hankering for the divine and from west that from that renunciation come for them, that is possible and know it for certain, the divine will take care of all the things that are needed. That's in Bhagavad Gita, you'll find that Bhagavan is saying that yoga kshema vahamyaham that I carry as if I carry in my shoulder the yoga and kshema of my devotees. Yoga means the thing which you need. It is not the yoga in the spiritual sense. Even in the worldly sense, yoga actually means union. The thing which you desire to be united with that, that is yoga. And kshema means to preserve. What you get, you may again lose. Your wealth, your relation, everything you may get, but I may lose. To preserve, that is called kshema. So God is saying, for my devotee, I as if carry on my shoulders all the things which he needs and all the things that has to be preserved. So, seeing the word vahamyaham, there's a nice stories are there that one thought that that must be a printing mistake, that must be a mistake and cut and it was and he tried to edit it as dadamyaham, I give. The stories are very nice. I am not going to the details. Then God came in a disguise to again re-edit it and wrote it Vaham Miham. Means uh, the Pandit who wrote it as Vaham Miham, he went to take a dip in the village pond. And in the meantime, suddenly he came back. The wife saw he came back. He told, you are yet to take uh, a deep in the pond, you are going to yes, yet to bathe in the pond, and you came back. He told, No, 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 I forgot something, I have to write it. I just it came to my mind, I have to write, and then uh, I will go for my uh, for my bath. And he again corrected that and went. Actually, it was God in the disguise of Sridhar Swami who came to re-edit it. And when he came from the after taking the bath, he from the village pond, he came back. And seeing that it has been re-edited, he asked, was surprised, he asked his wife that someone has uh, edited on what I have already edited. Who came? Well, you only came. So he was surprised. It was God actually who came. That's, these are the very nice stories which indicates that God stresses that it's not only I give, I as if carry the needs of my devotee. I become the servant of my devotee. I carry the needs for him. So the one who can really depend on the divine, just like a small child, small child can do nothing. It just cries out and the mother is there. The one can who can be like that small child, that helpless child, being fully certain of the fact that the divine is there to help me out. The divine is my mother. Know it for certain, the mother is there to really help us. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating there, that my attitude toward God is that of a child toward its mother. One can get human gurus by the million. All want to be teachers, but who cares to be a disciple? So that's a very interesting thing that has been told. There's been reading a little scripture, doing a little spiritual practice. We pose ourselves as a teacher. But to really go through a process of transformation, that speaks of the disciple. That a genuine disciple 
who has succeeded in effacing the ego through his spiritual practice, that will ultimately take him to the spiritual realization and he alone can become an instrument in the hands of divine. So to become a teacher, one has to be a disciple. But we don't want to be disciple, we just want to be teacher. There's a joke, very nice joke. That a boy, a young novice came to an ashram and asks and just say that I want to stay here. And who all stays here? He told the gurus and the disciple, they all stay here. And this boy asks then what's the role? What the guru does and what the disciple does? The guru just sits. He just instructs. And the disciple, they do all the work, all the work. And then this new novice told, well, I, then I want to be the guru. So that's how we all want to be the guru. That nothing, we won't go through that rigorous training. We just want to be the teachers. That's what Sri Ramakrishna, we all want to be the teachers. But who cares to be a disciple? So one has to go through that spiritual journey. One has to go through that spiritual journey where the effacing of the ego is the only thing which entails in our spiritual illumination. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, when someone asked, Ami mukto kabe, when shall I be free? His answer was, Ami jabe jabe. When I cease to be, I within inverted commas, when that I cease, it ceases, then you are liberated. That's the only criteria for spiritual illumination. So the disciples, what is his duty? Through all the spiritual practice to go to that state of egolessness. When the ego falls off, then the divine finds expression through our life. Because it is the ego. Ego is like that pot. Sri Ramakrishna gives that example that we are actually one with the ocean. If the non-dual consciousness is like the ocean, we are one with that. And now someone immerses a pot in the ocean and some of the ocean water enters into the pot and the wall of the pot is there to divide the ocean from the water which is inside the pot. And that's what I say is me. I am like a small pot with that small portion of the ocean water. You break the pot, you again become one with the ocean. And that's the what entails in our spiritual illumination. So for the entire process of discipleship is like the breaking of the pot. Unless we have done that, we can never be again one with the source. We can never go back to our source. And unless you have gone back to the source, you can never be the real instrument in the hands of the divine. And then only the, the one who is a real disciple alone can become a teacher. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. That, But we all want that shortcut. One can get human gurus by the million. The real guru is appears to be human, but he's not human. He has become the channel of the divine. All want to be the teachers, but who cares to be the disciple? To become the channel of the divine, one has to go through the spiritual journey where at last, through the spiritual realization, the ego has been effaced. And then God's grace starts to be channelized through that person. And then only he is the guru. So very nicely, Swami Premananda used to say that when another direct disciple of Ramakrishna, when the young novices started joining the Belurmat, they were inspired by the these great lives of the direct disciples. And one of these novice 
one day mentioned to Swami Premananda that you all are so great. And immediately Premananda said that you need not have to be something. You all become nothing. And once you become nothing, it is through you the divine will work. There's so many nice allegory stories are there that one day Radha she was with Krishna and she told that the flute which is tagged to your girdle, the girdle which you have tied around your uh, waist in that the flute is always there. Either you are playing or it is tagged in the girdle tied around your waist. It is so fortunate. It is having your eternal companionship. It is always with you. And we, for us, we are so unfortunate. Just for the time being, we are with you. And then again, there will be a separation, long separation. And Krishna never replied directly. He just took out the flute and asked Radha to see through it and asked, what's there? Krishna and then Radha told nothing. It's just a hollow structure. Nothing is there. So if you and then Krishna told that if you can become that way, that hollow, just like the flute, then you can be with me through eternity. Not only that, God will play tune through our lives. The music will be played through our lives. Once we can really become like that hollow, like that flute. And that's the thing which speaks of the discipleship. We have to go through that process where we can become as hollow as that flute. And then only the divine music can be played through our life. And then only you become a guru spontaneously. You need not have to declare yourself as guru. It is extremely difficult to teach others. A man can teach only if God reveals himself to him and gives the command. Narada, Shukadeva and sages like them had such a command from God. And Shankara had it too. Unless you have a command from God, who will listen to your words? So this Sri Ramakrishna is speaking from his own life experience. He was, he merged in Nirvikalpa Samadhi. In 21 days, if anyone stays in Nirvikalpa Samadhi, in 21 days his body falls off. And he was there for six months. From nowhere, the divine plan was that, that he has to be revived from that state so that he can teach the people in the ways of this, this awakened way of living. So it was a divine plan from nowhere. Sri Ramakrishna never knew that person where he has went later on. From nowhere he came for six months, he was with Ramakrishna. Whenever he is to come down a little from that state of intense Nirvikalpa Samadhi, he will somehow thirst some food in his mouth. And that's how his body was sustained. And when he himself wanted to merge in Nirvikalpa Samadhi, thrice he heard Bhav Muketha, that don't merge, be in the borderline of the phenomenon and the noumenon. From where you see the world through your senses, but always you can realize that it is just a mere projection that the real, you are the witness of the thing which is being projected through you. 
So the is a borderline between the noumenon and the phenomenon. So stay in that state. Don't simply merge in the absolute. Be in that borderline. He used to give the example of bachkhala. The fish sometimes play by, the, you know that by swimming across the river. They will go to the one bank and again they will swim across and come to this bank. But so Ramakrishna used to say that he that in his life this vachkhala is always going on, from the phenomenon to the world of noumenon, and again he's coming to the phenomenon when he, he's about to merge in the absolute. He with some small resolutions is to bring his mind down and I to drink water. I want to have some small food and with small resolutions, he will bring his mind down. Why? Because it was from that unconditional love that that God's command was there. From that, he was following the instructions. And that's why he's saying that unless you have that, all this movement like a mushroom may come and then it will be, it will is gone. If it has to sustain it, if it really has to have force, it has to be from the command of the God. You find all the religious movement, the, if you go to the source, it's all the command from the divine. See the life of Jesus, see the life of Muhammad, see life of Buddha. Through spiritual practice, they go to a state of trance where their awareness has nothing to do with the common awareness, the default awareness of the entire humankind. They relate something to, relate to something which is higher, much larger than life. And from there they come back. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is speaking of command from God. So from there when they come, their words have the power of conviction. When, Sri Ram, when Naren was in search of a person who have realized the divine, have seen God, wherever he will go, and they ask that question, immediately the people will start quoting the scriptures to explain him that God is. Naren's question was, have you seen God? I don't want all those explanations. And he found no satisfactory answer. At last, he came to Ramakrishna. The direct answer was, yes, I have seen him and I see him more clearly than I see you because it is not through the senses. It is not through the tints of the senses. It is aparokshanubhuti. It is something, a direct communion. So I see him more clearly than you and I can show it to you. So this is the word of a man of conviction. Jesus also, when he's preaching, preaching from the conviction, I and my father in heaven are one. So everywhere you will find that tremendous conviction the Islam, even also there, there also you will find that there is the divine command from where he starts his preaching. The tremendous conviction that initially we find a lot of opposition, but the divine command is behind that. That gives the force. That gives the, that in our Aratrikam sung, every day we sing that Gata Sangshaya Dhrira Nishchaya, the one from whom all the Sangshaya doubts have fallen. Dhrira Nishchaya, Tre very strong conviction has grown. It can happen only with realization. Unless you have tested the mango. By reading about the test of mango, you may develop some intellectual notion. Anyone can come and break it. They may say, no, 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 what the way? Because intellectuality is a double-edged sword. With that, you can prove anything. And again, you can disapprove anything. In this world, you will find the game of intellectuality. If you go to the lawyer, in the court, 
in the scientific community, something is today uh, defined as the law, next it is broken. So this constantly, this intellectual is a double-edged sword. With that, anything you can prove, you can disapprove. But the realization is the only proof of reality. If I have seen ocean, no one can make me doubt about the existence of ocean. If I have read about the ocean in the geography book, I'm yet to see the ocean. Someone may come and say that ocean doesn't exist. It's all just mere fabricated words. And I may, he may convince me with his words, if he has that power to really con that, uh, con convince me with the words, he may convince me. But that conviction is for the short time. The moment I see the ocean, I know his words are false. So the only truth of, the only criteria for the conviction is realization. Once you have realized certain thing, no one, you have seen it, there cannot be any question of any doubt. And it is that force of conviction. It is that all the state where you have no doubts, all the doubts has fallen off, that force of conviction. That makes the word so powerful. They speak directly. They won't quote scriptures. They won't try to uh, give some commentary on the words of the scriptures. They will speak from their realization. Yes, I have seen. It is, and it is something, the only difference is I see more clear than I you, and then I see you, and I can show it to you. So that's a conviction, which is the thing which is really going to create an indelible mark in the minds of the humanity for ages to come. And that's why the scriptures are so powerful. If you go to the source of any religion, the words come directly. No explanation, no commentary. It's the direct words. The truth is simple. Just the way we take it for granted, the air, the water, which is the basic thing for our life, we take it for granted. The spiritual truths are something like that. That's just the way we breathe in the air, just the way we uh, have the water for our sustenance. They are like that. Something simple, direct, and profound. As it comes from the depth of the realization. That's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. That unless you have that, know it for certain, it is mere playing with the word, which can create some effect for the time being. But in as such, it has no long-term effect. It's just for the time being, it can create a little sensation and that its work is over. So oh, no one will listen to those words. You just after the lecture, you may say, oh, it was a nice lecture and there it ends. It doesn't bring any transformation. You just see the life of the disciples of Ramakrishna, of any avatar, that whoever are coming in touch with them, their life is transformed. There's this transformation, it doesn't happen unless the one who is preaching has a command from God. He has went to that realization. That's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. Don't you know how easily the people of Calcutta get excited? The milk in the kettle puffs up and boils as long as the fire burns underneath. Take away the fuel and all becomes quiet. So just the way sometimes we find that in a congregation, when we are all singing, dancing, we do have some emotional that upsurge. 
and we think, oh, a great transformation has come in our life. Sri Ramakrishna in some other place has given a very nice example. He used to say that when an elephant gets down into the shallow water of a ditch, it makes a huge splash. But nothing is noticed when the elephant gets down in a huge reservoir. And he used to say, Naren is that reservoir. There are so many people in the presence of Ramakrishna used to have trance, emotional upsurge. But Naren always appeared to be as if not affected in any way. So many people used to think that these boys, these young boys, they don't have as such uh, this devotional uh, upsurge. Yeah, so they are just um, this uh, very morally uh, integrated person, but they don't have that spiritual effervescence. And Sri Ramakrishna is indicating this wonderful thing that actually it is just the opposite. The people who are not very integrated, their nerves are as if weak, very easily it can be excited. It gives the appearance of spiritual upsurge, but it is actually just like the milk in the kettle, which puffs up and boils as long as the fire burns. When the that environment has been created, all are singing, dancing, or some lecture is going on, immediately there may be some emotional upsurge, devotional upsurge. Take the fuel away, everything becomes quiet. Nothing is there. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. So the people of Calcutta love sensations. You may see them digging a well at a certain place. They say they want water. But if they strike a stone, they give up that place, they begin at another place. And there perchance they find sand, they give up the second place too. Next they begin at a third, and so it goes. But it won't do if a man only imagines that he has God's command. So it won't do if he imagines. You will find there are many cases of this, the psychiatric uh, anomalies, problem, where one thinks one has become God, that one is Jesus, one is Buddha. So it is just mere imagining. So it's not just mere imagination that you have got God's command. It's something which really happens. It, and then only when it really happens, then only you can think of really transforming others' life. Otherwise, it's like the people, most of us, the people of Calcutta actually represents the entire humanity. That we like sensation. That in our life suddenly we find, especially in the modern age of internet, there is so much of distractions. You just go to the internet, that so many various uh, organizations, so many ways of meditation, so many kriyas, so many things are there. And today, for just for few days, I resort to some type of practice and I feel it's not working for me. I jump to some other practice. That's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. You may see them digging a well at a certain place. They say they want water, but if they strike a stone, they give up that place. And then they get sand, they give up that place too. Next, they dig the, they dig the third place. And that's how it goes on. It's just curiosity mongering. They don't have that nishtha, the perseverance to st stick to one's chosen path. So these two things, the guru must be genuine through him, the divine 
has started channelizing his grace and the one who is the disciple has to have that nishtha, sincere, has to have that perseverance and then only the transformation can happen. Otherwise, it's just a mere show of spiritual uh, emotion, spiritual devotion. It in no way speaks of real transformation. As Swami Vivekananda used to say that we spend, we waste so much of energy in our life to show others that I am religious. I am a good person. I am religious. I am spiritual. It is, we waste so much of energy just to show. If we would have used that much of energy to really transform ourselves, we would have been transformed. What a valuable thing he's saying. If we just relate to our own life, you will find that we all, whenever we are with others, we always try to project ourselves as a good person. So much of energy is wasted that way. If we really wanted to be good with that much of energy, we would have transformed our lives. So for that, that perseverance is required. Just mere sensation, hopping, just hopping from one type of practice to another. Just the way we go for shopping, that's we buy some product and just then it doesn't satisfy us, we go for the other. So that's how we go on with our spiritual life also. So that way it's not going to help us. We have to have that nishta, that perseverance to stick on to the particular practice on which we have faith. And then only we can reach the ultimate goal. Otherwise, it's just a mere sensation, nothing else. That's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating with the people of Calcutta. They love sensations. God does reveal himself to man and speak. So here again, let's see the word of conviction. No reasoning. God does reveal himself to man and speak. He's speaking from his own life. Only then may one receive his command. How forceful are the words of such a teacher. They can move mountains. Just see, that's what throughout the history we'll find. It is those who have touched the feet of the divine. They were not professors. They couldn't speak. Ramakrishna used to stammer. He had this, this, the stammering. And he used to speak in a colloquial language. He never went to university. It's a very, very colloquial form of Bengali language. It's not even the proper refined Bengali language. It's a very colloquial form. See the words of the Jesus. See the words of any of the prophets. It's not those literal, the so-called academic giants. It's the most simple person. They're preaching among the simple people. But for thousands of years, their words are preserved without any alteration. And that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna from his own experience is saying that how forceful are those words. It continues with the humanity as the way of life. They go on showing the humanity, the way of life for thousands of years. They can move mountains. All the, these prophets of the religion are proof to this fact. But mere lectures, people will listen to them for a few days and then forget them. They will never act upon mere words. So these mere words doesn't have 
the power of transformation. So as the parents also, we will realize that we say the children don't listen. Actually, we also, as the parents, that we find that they don't walk their talk because the children don't hear your words. Their eyes are more uh, something which is more active. They observe. They don't hear what you say, but they observe what you are doing. And that becomes something that enters that, that actually like osmosis, it percolates into the subconscious mind. They don't take a resolution by observing that how my father or mother is uh, acting or how my teacher is acting, I have to act accordingly. They don't take a conscious decision. It's simply like an osmosis. It percolates into the subconscious and somehow unknowingly their life starts changing. So it's not what we say. I still remember when for the first time I was posted to some educational institution to look after the, the children who were staying in the hostel and they were from the tribal area of the Northeast India. They were the first generation learners and the only instruction I was given, it was a huge responsibility. I had no experience and the only uh, one sentence which I heard from one of the seniors from, it was very interesting. That when we post someone to these educational institutions, they think, the one who has been posted, they think that their, their work is to just observe what the children are doing. That to be there and have a, always be observing what they're doing. The Swami told, it's just the opposite. Know it for certain, it is they who will be observing you. You think you are observing them, but it is they who will be observing you. So now you lead your life as you wish, knowing the fact they will be observing you. They're very keen observers. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is saying. There's not mere lectures. Unless we have touched the feet of the divine and that has transformed our life. It has overhauled our life. So that all our actions become spontaneously good. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say that an adept dancer never just have a false step. It is always on the rhythm. It becomes spontaneous. For a man of realization, his, all, his way of life becomes spontaneously good. And that's what is being observed by the world. And that makes their word so powerful because they walk their talk. Their life is a commentary of what they say. And that's something which has tremendous power. It imprints our mind. It can never be deleted. It, it just creates a deep impression. And that's, that's how it has that transforming power. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. So we'll continue. Sri Ramakrishna will be giving some examples. With that, we will continue again in the next class. But the next class will be most probably after 15th January. So 7th from 7th, we are... Uh, just not having class till the 15th. In the meantime, we will have uh, two major celebrations, Holy Mother's birthday on 18th and Swami Vivekananda's uh, birthday on 15th of January. On 18th December, it is Holy Mother's birthday. So we will have those celebrations for that. You will get the notifications. So uh, please come for the, this, all the celebrations. And then again, the classes will start after 15th of January. So for that, so till then, we just take a short leave. Thank you all. Namaskars. And wish you all a happy new year.